in Tarsus. So right where he lives, right where he's from, back in his hometown, he's actively involved in ministry. When you get into the end of Acts chapter 11, verse 30, Acts chapter 12 and verse 25, what you find is that he's coupled together with a guy named Barnabas. And in the first stages of their ministry together, Barnabas' name is first and Saul is second. Barnabas is the leader. Saul is his helper. Later on, they'll switch, okay? But right now, he's just a helper. He's, he's involved uh, in the ministry. Ultimately, Paul or Saul ultimately becomes Paul. Um, he becomes a leader. And in Acts chapter 13, we see that he is one of five men who serves as a pastor, as a teacher in a local church in the town of Antioch of Syria. Okay, so he works his way up to the point where he is respected and proven, and he's an actual leader. Uh, ultimately, then, in that, from that church in Antioch, he gets the call to go and be a foreign missionary. So this is a call to multiply his ministry beyond his hometown into regions far beyond that, where the Holy Spirit says, separate unto me, uh, Barnabas and Saul. And ultimately, then, the church recognizes this is what God's doing. They confirm this call in his life, and the church, as it says in Acts 13, 3 and 4, sends them out to go ahead and do this work that they're called to do. Do you, do you see the pattern? Do you see how, just from the time he responded, he immediately was fully engaged and responsive to whatever the Holy Spirit would have for his life? These are some of the things I kind of want you to get. Now, throughout the, the, the written record of the Scripture, Again, except for the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate example. The Apostle Paul stands as the greatest foreign missionary that you'll ever read about. Uh, there's nobody like him. Uh, that is the focus of his ministry. He becomes the human author of 13, and some would argue 14, of the 27 New Testament books. Okay? He is greatly used by the Lord. And so as a result, therefore, of all of these things God working in his life, the Bible says very explicitly on many, many occasions, you have all the references in front of you, that we, Christians, are to follow Paul's example. We're to follow Paul. And I just want you to, to pay attention. Just look at all these references. Maybe you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be followers of me as I also am of Christ. Okay, that's very familiar. And we say, oh yeah, I remember that one. Well, were you aware that there's a whole bunch more? Uh, for example, let me just run down some of them for you. 1 Timothy 1.16. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering. notice, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So God did a special thing in Paul's life to establish a pattern that we should follow. Again, this is the Christian's model. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an ensample. Chapter number 4 and verse number 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. He's our example. And the God of peace shall be with you. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You've not injured me at all. You want to live your life a certain way? You're not sure how that needs to look? Live it the way I live it. You'll be all right. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. You get in the pattern here? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7 For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Jump down to verse 9. Not because we have not power, 
but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. I'm getting the point, Jeff. Why are you going on and on? Because the Bible goes on and on and on about how this man's life is our model. Lastly, Romans eleven fourteen. If by any means I may provoke to emulation, I'm gonna stir you up to follow my example. Provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh and might save some of them. Specifically, he's talking about the, the Israelites. So here you have eight different times, and, and arguably I could show you others, but these are very clear, that God specifically says, Paul's the man. Now, thank God in our lives today, we have godly men and women we can look up to, and that's perfect, that's awesome. But scripturally, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God says, there's a guy. You want to pattern your life after somebody, you pattern it after this guy. So what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to follow Paul? How are we supposed to do what he did? Well, certainly not in the circumstances of the details of his life 2,000 years ago, right? He had very unusual circumstances every step of the way. So if you're familiar with the story in Acts chapter 9 where Saul of Tarsus, I mean, he's blinded by this light from heaven. There's a voice that comes down from heaven. Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he's struck blind by the light as God is getting his attention. Maybe it's because none of the Christians in those days would have dared to try and share the gospel with Saul because he'd have killed him. So Jesus had to do it, okay? I don't know, but odds are that if we took a poll, nobody in this room has had that kind of salvation experience. I haven't, right? Odds are that ain't happening enough. That's not something you emulate, okay? Uh, I mean, he had a lot of details of his life. He had the ability to do physical miracles for a period of time. In fact, I don't know if you know it or not, but the first recorded miracle that Saul ever did after he was first sent out of the church of Antioch, interestingly enough, was to take a man who could see and make him blind. Check it out. Probably not part of the ministry we should be thinking about. Uh, Typically, his manner, the Bible says all through the book of Acts, is that he preached in Jewish synagogues, Jesus Christ, intentionally split those synagogues, took the believers, and then went and started a church. Not aware of a lot of synagogues around here. He did suffer a lot of persecution, and we also will suffer some persecution, but probably not to the level and an extreme um, severity that he suffered, uh, to the point where, as we're going to read in just a second, he was actually stoned and left for dead, and God brought him back to life. Those are some very unique circumstances. He lived his ministry as an unsupported missionary that traveled throughout the Middle East. All of us, let's just go without any money and wander around the Middle East. No, that's, not the, that's not the details. It's not the circumstances, but rather it's the pattern. It's the life principles of how he followed the Lord. And that's what we're going to see. The thing that we follow about Paul is, is that we learn to forsake and follow. Forsake our, our life, forsake our strengths, forsake our desires, and follow Christ. And basically that breaks into three simple things. The first thing, and this is good. I mean, I mean, this is something to really think about. It's a fresh start. Again, Paul's history was wicked. It was evil. It was vile. It was sinful. It was the worst. It was demonic. It was religiously demonic. And that's his history. 
and God gave him a fresh start. Can I just tell you today, I don't know you, I don't know the details of your life, and you don't need to tell me. But if, if you look back in your past and you see some very evil, wicked things, you know what? Just like Saul of Tarsus, God wants to use you too. Do you know what? He can give you a fresh start. You cannot out God's grace. Do you understand that? And Saul is the greatest guy used. Why? Maybe because he was the most evil to start with. I don't know. But ultimately, it was because of the second point, and that's that he lived by faith. Because Paul's life, every step of the way in recorded history, is all about a guy who is totally surrendered to what God would do in his life. He exemplified a life that is lived by faith, and that is done and exercised amidst great difficulty. And through doing that, he had great fruit in his life. He had fruit in his life. He had converts. He had disciples. He started churches. He did great things. He had great results in his ministry, mainly because he was totally and completely surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit, who ultimately is the one who produces the fruit. And so when we learn to forsake our desires in life and to follow him, we get a fresh start, we can live by faith, and we can have great fruit. What does that exactly look like? Well, open your Bibles and look with me in Acts chapter 14. And this is the prime text I wanted us to look at for today. It's Acts chapter 14. Of all the things that you can read about Paul's life, okay, if you want to capsulize it in one group of verses that will give you the pattern to follow for ministry, you will find it at the end of Acts chapter 14. And that's what we're going to read together, okay? So start with me in verse number 19. We'll read at the end of the chapter. This is the end of his first missionary journey. And it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch, and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, this is what I referred to earlier, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came to the city, and by the next day um, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And notice, starting in verse 21, we're going to start seeing the points that make up the model of ministry that God wants us to follow. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium, And Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, they had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended, his home church, um, to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They fulfilled their work. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. So what was his ministry all about? Well, his ministry started with evangelism. They preached the gospel to the cities. Discipleship. They taught many. Last week we talked about how the word teach, make disciples. That's what it means, okay? It says confirming the souls. Well, that's testing. That's confirming the fact that the faith you say you have is real, and so the the souls are being confirmed, okay, Um, exhorting them to continue, meaning that they need to continue through the suffering and the tribulation that is going to be a natural part of living your life as a Christian. In other words, kind of swimming against the stream, against the grain, going against the grain a little bit. 
And so he's, he's confirming these disciples. He's exhorting these disciples. These are all elements of what we consider to be biblical discipleship. Okay? He's training them. He's growing them up until the point where they demonstrate real biblical maturity. And it says he ordains elders. So these men are set apart now. They're recognized as leaders. And he sets them in their places. He ordains them in these churches. He says he prays for them with fasting. And they, he commends them to the Lord. In other words, he just say, look, you're, you're mature, you're ready, you're on your own, you can do your own thing now, I don't need to be here and help you anymore, you're good to go. And then ultimately he returns to his home church, uh, he re- reestablishes the relationship with the church that sent him out, and only to go out and do it all over again, okay? Now, this is the pattern of ministry that God expects us to follow. The fact of the matter is, is that not everybody is going to have the opportunity to execute every single one of these steps. I get it. But do what you can. Because you can be involved in evangelism. You can be involved in discipling and training up people that God gives you. And in the world of missions, how do you know where God might take your disciple far beyond the boundaries geographically that you may ever go? You can be involved in those things. But some of you in your lives we'll have the opportunity to see all of these steps because this is kind of the full meal deal right here. This is finishing the work. Now, there's plenty more ministry for Paul, but in this particular time and place, he finished it. Why? Because he made disciples and grew them up and recognized leaders and set up churches, and those churches were fine. They were self-sufficient. Paul did not need to be there anymore. He was done so he could go do it again somewhere else. Some of you will have the opportunity to see all of that happen in your ministry. I've seen it. It's the coolest thing in the world. But regardless of what your circumstances allow, you can get involved. You can be a part of this. And you think, okay, well, how do I do that? Where do I do that? And that's really our second point because it's going to take place through your local church. And that's number two, the church's mandate. The Christian's model is the life of the Apostle Paul. But there's an application to this thing of missions that goes far beyond any individual. It's all about the church. It's a mandate to the church of Jesus Christ. We could not possibly fulfill the Great Commission if it was just a bunch of individuals. But as we work together, we can. We have to work together. We individuals make up the church without question. But we have to work together to get it done. And that's what it's all about. And the thing that I want you to get is the next sentence, okay? You ready with your pens? Missions is not going. It's sending. You got to get that. It's not just about go. It's not just buy a ticket and travel. Missions is not just, I think I'm going to go somewhere. If you have desires like that, that's awesome, okay? But true biblical missions, as we've seen played out in the life of the Apostle Paul, is a church recognizing that and sending you to go do the work of the gospel. Okay? That's really important that you get that. Now, a little study. You may or may not have ever noticed the word missionary, okay, does not occur at any point, any place in your Bible. It's not in there. Okay, well, why are we talking about it? Uh, Because the idea is certainly in your Bible, and the word that is used to convey the idea of what a missionary is, biblically, the word is apostle. 
Now, I know when we think of the word apostle, we think of the big 12, okay? But in the Bible, there are far many more than just the 12 apostles, and we're not going to do that Bible study today, but the idea is this. The word apostle comes from a root word from the Greek language, okay? And that root word has the meaning, one who is sent. The word missionary comes from a word that its root is not Greek. Its root is Latin. And the Latin root then conveys the exact same meaning, one who is sent. So in a general sense, okay, the 12 are a unique group. But in a general sense, the work of an apostle is the work of a missionary, Okay, you need to understand that so that we understand that it is a biblical concept. And in fact, if you would look quickly to Matthew chapter 10, you don't have to have known Greek or Latin to figure that out because God makes it very clear even in English you can figure that out. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Jesus, when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, what are disciples? They're learners. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles Now it's switched. They're not called disciples anymore. Now they're called apostles. Are these? First Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, etc. Jump down to verse 5. And it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and then gave them their stuff they had to do. The first time that you see the disciples being called apostles is at the moment when Jesus sends them forth because that's what an apostle is. That's what an apostle does. They're missionaries, okay? That's what we see. That's really important. It's important that you understand that, okay? So a missionary is someone who's sent out from the local body to carry the gospel to other places. He's not just simply a Christian who decides to get on an airplane and go somewhere. Anybody, anybody can travel. That doesn't mean that you're fulfilling the model that God gave us, okay? It doesn't make you a missionary. Because, again, in your notes, the church is the vehicle of missions. The church is the only vehicle, it's the only means by which the scriptures reveal that we are to carry out God's mission. It's not in individuals, it's not in individual organizations that are distinct and separate from the authority of God's local church. There's something special about the church, which is his body, being the vehicle through which God works to carry out his mission ministry. And that's really important. Remember, Saul and Barnabas were sent out from their local church in Antioch. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean for us? What does it mean for any local church to be focused on and involved in missions because tons of churches talk about it, right? Well, can I say that it's more than just simply mentioning it every once in a while? And can I say that it's more than thanking God for others that do it? Which, by the way, we should mention it and we should thank God for others that do it, no doubt. But that can't be what he expects. If missions is a pillar, he's given to the church and we are a church, This great commission, it's a serious commission. He left it with us. He expects us not just to talk about it, not just to throw some money at it, and these are all good things, not just to thank God for the other super Christians that do it, 
but for any biblical church, any obedient church, to actually participate in missions. Do you get that? That's critically important. This is the very heartbeat of God, and we have to do that. So in our body, thank God, we have seen God do great things like that. So we have some that are from our midst. Uh, Deb Fox, the Bradleys, they're on a mission team in Prague, and they're sent out from this church. In fact, that was five years ago. They made a five-year commitment that's soon coming to an end. They're going to continue to serve there for a couple more years. Thank God for that. Many of you have been in this church many years, and many years ago there were several, several, many families that gave up much of their time of their life and went and served the Lord uh, full-time in the Philippines. Thank God for that. Um, we have had, even just as of this last summer, we've had young people who committed a month or so of their time to be interns, to begin to train and to live in a foreign country and begin to learn how to do that. Listen, we have opportunities, and we have seen God do great things through this church. But you know what? We have more opportunities. We, by the way, thank God, we have some amazing connections with people all around the world that we can help you apply these things in your life. We can help you get connected to people who can help us all fulfill God's mission together. And so if missions is going to be a pillar in God's church, as it should be, then we have to have a process for training men. We're going to talk about training men. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? It's profitable. Doctrine reproof. Correction, instruction, and righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So, The scriptures, without a doubt, our interacting with God through the scriptures are the things that build us up to the point where the Bible uses the word perfect, literally just means throughly furnished, equipped to be able to do any good work that God might ask us to do, okay? It's the scriptures, without a doubt. So it's that personal, direct interaction with God through, which we defined last week. The Bible is, is, it's like God's soul, So we interact with God's very soul, okay? But he also helps us by connecting us and leading us by virtue of his body, which is the church. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he gave gifts unto the church. And of the gifts that he gave to the church, you know, it talks about these apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the work of the ministry, for the, edifying, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So again, you have the perfecting of the saints, the edifying, the building up of the body of the church. So God gives teachers, God gives leaders, God gives the body to be able to assist in this process of preparing you to participate in God's mission. And the place I really want you to see, let's just flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because this is great. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it becomes the backbone of a lot of what we do around here. Verses 15 to 17, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, of course, and he says this. I think I'm okay. You all right? If you're listening to this in your car radio, I hate when that happens. Okay. 
1 Corinthians 4.15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. There's another one. For this cause, he says, I've sent unto you Timotheus, who's my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. What's Paul saying? Look, there's a lot of people out there who can teach you knowledge. There's a lot of places you can go to established institutions of higher learning where you can learn a lot of Bible facts. But if you really want to mature, if you really want to be perfect in Christ, if you want to be truly furnished, you need to be taught not just by somebody who would be a teacher because we can have 10,000 teachers. And in today's day and time with the internet and resources and books and videos available, you can learn. And by the way, you should. You can learn from a lot of people and that's awesome. But ultimately, you need some fathers. You need somebody who's going to be a daddy to you. Somebody who's going to love you enough, who's involved in your life, who will hold you accountable, who is your pastor. Somebody, And you don't have to have the title. Somebody who pastors or shepherds you. Somebody who loves you enough to care about whether or not you're actually living out the things that you're learning from your thousands of teachers. And so we take that very seriously here. And what we do is we develop a path. We develop a strategy. We develop a way through which you, as members here in our church, can grow to full maturity without having to go quit your job, move to another town, enroll in a college or a seminary. And those, If you want to do that, that's fine. But we offer to you the ability to do that right here. It's the path for growth. And if you haven't noticed in our lobby, we have four very large circles that make a diagram, and there they are on the screen. And if you haven't noticed coming in, you're not paying attention because they're there, and they're large, and they look like that, okay? And, and there's four steps, okay? We have developed this path that will allow you to grow. And, and it's, you start by attending, then learn, then engage, then lead. What does that mean? Well, very quickly, attend means, is that this, really? How am I doing? If it does one more time, turn me up, okay? If it does it one more time, I'll switch microphones. Apologies to whoever's listening online or whatever. Um, technical difficulty. Okay, back to, our, back to our notes. Attend. Faithfully show up. Be a part of what God's doing in the body. That's important. So we would say that would be like you're here now. God bless you. You're doing great. So far, so good. Um, we would also include in that our midweek life groups because that's a really important part of your growth. We saw that last week. Uh, learn. So that's getting more knowledge and information. We offer that to you at 9 a.m. before this hour of worship and study. We offer training hour that you can come on various subjects and do that. Please take advantage of that. We offer personal, individual discipleship. You know well what that's all about. That would be the section of learn. Okay, engage would be what comes after the personal discipleship level. We call that ministry tools and training. It's a classroom setting. Many have taken advantage of that. There's plenty of room for many others to take advantage of that. It's tools, literally, and training to make you a better, more effective minister. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, to lead, we also have our version of an in-home Bible institute that we call Leadership Training Institute that is just kicking off this semester for people who are interested in becoming leaders in God's body to be able to take part in that thing. So we take this commission very seriously because we know God takes it very seriously and we work very hard to provide this for you. This path is available to you all. It is available to each and every one of you and we only ask that you follow the steps. Start at the beginning and work your way through. Don't think that you can skip a step and jump into the one that you might prefer because the system works when you follow the steps. If you skip the steps, what you'll find is you're not getting the right things in the right order to build upon themselves to get you to the point of full maturity. And I'm not trying to go off on all the details of what we do here locally. I just want to give you handles on how it plays out and what is available to you to fulfill the biblical value, to develop a pillar in your life of taking seriously the commission that God has given to us as individuals and as a church. I would like to see every single member of First Baptist Church take advantage of the first three steps without exception because they are just tools and training to make you a more effective minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everybody is going to pursue being a leader, and that's fine. So that fourth step may or may not apply to you, okay? But the first three should apply to each and every one of you. And that's offered to you and that's available to you. And I think that that's awesome. I think that it's awesome that we are in a place and a time where you can take advantage of that. Again, right here, you don't have to move. You don't have to quit your jobs. We do things on weekends. We do things on evenings. Yes, it's a commitment. Yes, it's a sacrifice. But is it worth it? Is it serious enough to you to do that? And I'm so very thankful for the many that have already responded and are working their way through this process. And we intentionally will and will continue to look towards these individuals to be the future leaders. And I think you'll see more and more of that as time continues. But I want you to know that I pray daily for God to raise up godly men and women who submit to this process, who learn the things they need to learn under the accountability structure of a local church. They have fathers and teachers that help them and love them become all they need to be. And not just simply that we would be all really smart and cool, okay? Because if we would do that, we would be, by the way. But that God would use us and send us out to participate in his mission worldwide, okay? Listen, I am always going to give my money to finance the gospel. That's something that I intend to do until Jesus takes me home. But I want to do more than that. And I want our church to do more than that. I'm thankful for the many of you that sacrificially give, and that's a great thing. But we can do a lot more. And tomorrow, the next day, next week, next year, we're going to start seeing guys get up here that have responded and have sacrificed and have learned and have proven themselves and we're going to lay our hands on them, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to trust God, and we're going to commend them to the Lord. And our whole church is going to rejoice. And we're going to be excited knowing that we are participating in a serious commission that God's given to us. I want us to look at a couple of places before we finish, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12 with me. Okay, I get it. I see it. 
I got to give you the flip side of the coin before we finish. Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. It says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will, do we know God's will now? And prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. I guess that's ignorance is bliss, sort of. Not really. If you know what God expects and you don't take steps to prepare yourself to do it, there is accountability. Uh, It goes on. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia has been here for 155 glorious years serving the Lord Jesus Christ. This church became a church before Kansas was a state. You have been given much. You've been given much. Much is required. I know that there's people that want to make a difference. I know there's people that want to live their lives for something greater than just themselves. That's what we want to do here. If we don't, it's not good. If you're in Luke chapter 12, just look over the next page at Luke 13. Starting in verse number six, Jesus, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. I I really do live every day of my life with a very realistic, healthy vision of the judgment seat of Christ in front of me. I know that there will be a day and I will stand in front of my Savior and I will give an account for what I have done with what I have been given. And as a pastor of a church that has been greatly blessed, as a pastor of a church that has been given much, I will have to give an account for whether or not I kept your vision on the world? Or did I just say, let's make our little bubble world right here as comfortable and happy and fun as we possibly can because we love life with one another while the world goes to hell? Because I have that reality of the judgment seat in front of me, I say the things I say. I do the things I do. I exhort the way I exhort. I lean on you, hopefully nicely, the way I lean on you. Because this is a serious commission. And God expects us to take it seriously. I've seen churches, y'all. I've been around. I've seen churches that are dedicated to being a part of God's global mission. Who The churches do a lot of things wrong. We, We do stuff wrong too. I'm just not sure what it is or would change it. There's churches that do a lot of things wrong. But they're dedicated to God's mission. And God sustains those churches 
because they're involved. This is, without a doubt, in this point in history, the most important thing on God's mind. You concern yourself with God's biggest problem, if I can say it that way, and you know what? He's going to concern himself with your problems. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. And by the way, mark your calendars because at the end of, or the first of November will be our annual missions conference. You'll hear more about that time to come. But the first week of November is when we'll have our conference again. Let me ask you a question. Is world missions really on your radar as an individual Christian in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it's definitely on God's. And let me ask you, on that process of of how Paul laid out his ministry in Acts chapter 14, how, how far do you think you can go? I mean, how far on those steps do you think you can be a part of? I mean, for sure, here's some steps that you can take, and I put them in your notes so you just kind of have it with you. Go home for lunch, you talk to your family about it, maybe just pray over it yourself. For sure, as far as the reaching the world for Christ is concerned, not everybody has equal opportunity, but everybody can pray. Everybody can pray for the whole world. Most everybody, if not everybody, can give financially. We are very, very wealthy. We really are. And we can give something to help get the gospel around other places. We can serve. We can do evangelism and discipleship right here. Again, you don't know where your disciple might go far beyond the boundaries of where you can go. And we can train. We can prepare ourselves to be more effective, regardless of geography, whether you ever leave this town or you go somewhere else around the world. We can take these steps. Why don't we each consider where we're at and what might be next just to prove to God that we take it seriously, that it means that much to us. Four pillars, prayer, worship, discipleship, missions. Can you see that if those are solid in your life, your life is solid? Can you see that if our church has those things solid in our church. Our church is solid. Do you get that? They have to be a part of that. Let's pray together. We don't want to be held accountable. And that's a tough thing. But isn't that level of accountability, isn't the fact that you know that there are some people around you all the time, isn't that the accountability that we really need? in order to keep us straight sometimes? I know it should be enough to just say, I know Jesus is watching and that's enough and I'm going to make the right choices, but it's not always enough in our daily real lives. Come on. The fact that I got a buddy standing right next to me, I am not going to get mad and cuss at a dude in traffic if my friend is in the car with me. Now you're wondering, does he really do it if he's alone? (laughs) That's the question we all should be asking ourselves. Would we do it if we're alone? Therefore, is that not the accountability we need? Therefore, doesn't it make sense? Do you realize the levels of sin that Christian people, good Christian people can get into when they're isolated? And when you hear these terrible stories of good people that have fallen into wicked sin, and you track backwards just a little bit, you find that previously for a period of time they have distanced themselves from God's people, God's word, God's church, and they're alone and vain imaginations build and they fall. It's what we need. It's on purpose. So John the apostle writes in his letter, 1 John, 
Chapter number one and verse number three. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, the apostles. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's a small group of people with Jesus Christ in the midst. It's a spiritual relationship. That's what it is. And so it's an important thing. And John writes it saying, look, you guys are welcome to join the fellowship of the believers with Jesus Christ as the focus of what we do. Uh, it's not, you know, the, the, the sports fans get together and go to a stadium to cheer their favorite team and they're together and they're having fun. That's fine. That's an activity. But it's not fellowship. It's not the special community that becomes a critical portion of our discipleship experience. So the question, obviously, for us to consider, are you indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you're saved, but are you truly a disciple based on what we're learning of Jesus Christ? And if so, do you want to make disciples for Jesus Christ? I, I think most of you do. If you want to do that, bring people with you. Let them observe you doing, observing, everything Christ has commanded you. And doing that, and by the way, they can watch you fail and then fix it. And they'll learn because they're disciples and disciples are learners. And they'll learn. That's what we have to do. We learn while we're doing. That's the whole strategic back, backing of why we do life groups. It's critically important. People need a living example. Yes, we say, I follow no man. I follow Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, try that out. Without another human being to support you and to help you and to love you and to pray for you and to be with you and to care, it's just really, really, really hard. The Apostle Paul himself said, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. Listen. We should be able to do the same thing. If we have grown to a level of maturity, we should be able to look at somebody else and say, I'm not Jesus, obviously, but I'm heading the right direction. And if you follow me, you'll be doing all right too. You'll be doing all right too. People need that. That's why it's in there. Some of our life cannot just be learned in a book. It cannot be learned in a lesson. It cannot be learned sitting in a big room just hearing somebody talk to you. Some of life needs to be, as we say, caught rather than taught. You just catch on by watching other people do it. It's observing. That's exactly what it is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run you through a little list, and, and these are the one another commands of Scripture, okay? And, and we're going to do a little rapid fire, okay? We're going to go through this thing, but, but just so you know, there's a lot of places in the New Testament where the Lord commands, they're commands, by the way, it's not optional, these are commands, okay? And he uses literally the term. So if you have a concordance or a computer program, you just look up one another and see what pops up. There's a lot of them, okay? And I, I summarize them for you. The one verse I want you to look at, just a kind of a, a, an overview and a launching pad, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, what is it? That ye love, notice, one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my what? Disciples, how? If you have love one to another. So we're going to kind of elaborate on what love might look like. 
comparing all the other places. And verses are just going to be flying. Man, this screen's going to start smoking. It's going to be coming so fast, okay? Try and keep up. Do the best you can. Be kindly affectioned to one another. That means not just love, but like them. Be like-minded one to another. Thinking the same things, right? Receive ye one another, which wouldn't be hard if they're all your best buddies. You like receiving them. You have to maybe trust Christ to receive somebody who's tougher to receive. Care for one another. Serve one another. Be kind. Be forgiving one of another. How about this? Submit to one another. Well, some people I don't mind submitting to. Other folks, yeah, right, no way. (laughs) Teaching and admonishing one another. Comfort one another. Edify one another or build up, literally. To exhort or encourage one another. You trying to keep track of the references? Good luck. (laughs) Provoke to love and good works. Uh, Have compassion one of another. Show hospitality to one another. Awesome. I mean, who doesn't want more of that in your group? Who doesn't want to surround them? Imagine your life being lived out with other people doing those things together. Sign me up, right? You have real needs in your life. I have real needs in my life. I have real problems in a real world full of sin. Okay, this world is sin-laden and we're trying to make our way through it. And we need people around us that will love us and care for us and support us and be kindly affection to us and be hospitable to us and pray for us. That's what a small group does. That's what it does. And so our church is not unlike any other church who occasionally would get a phone call, for example, and somebody might be disappointed because they would say, I've been sick. I was in the hospital. Nobody came to see me. Nobody cared for me. Nobody called me. And maybe, for the sake of this discussion, let me just say, that person's not involved in a small group. They're not involved in ministry. They just kind of show up on a Sunday and they leave. And maybe nobody knew you were sick. Maybe nobody knew you had a need. Maybe nobody was aware of the fact, except for your close family, and nobody told us. Maybe. But if you're involved in a community of believers regularly and consistently, and you open up your lives to them, they're going to be aware when things are going bad in your life and you have needs and so somebody's in the hospital and somebody else rallies to watch your kids and somebody else helps cook your meals and somebody else cuts your grass and they're all rallying around and encouraging and praying for and helping with all the needs of your life and that is Christianity. That's what he intends. That's being a disciple. That's growing to be like Christ. If you devoid yourself of that community then those things are not necessarily going to be available to you. So, again, that's why you can't just... Now, some, a lot of you have a lot of friends. You're friendly folk. Maybe your good friends are enough to take care of cutting your grass or watching your kids, and that's all fine. But biblically, let's, let's, just, ah, let's just go back to the Bible. It can't just be your friends. Because let's, we're not done with the one another list, by the way. There's more. Don't judge one another. Don't be puffed up or proud one against another. Forbear. That's kind of like put up with. (laughs) And while you're doing that forbearing, speak not evil. Confess your faults one to another. How about this? I love this last one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We just need to practice that. 
Next meet and greet we have. Uh, you know, in the Middle Eastern world, and I lived in Albania, I mean, this is very common in a lot of countries where guys will kiss each other on the cheek or something like that. The whole point is this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The idea is it's, it's, a, it's an, a sign of affection. If you're hacked off at somebody, it's really hard to go up and kiss them on the cheek. I mean, that's what he says, do. And you have to learn to grow to be like Christ by doing that. Maybe with people who aren't your faves. You know what? It's funny. I, now, I, I went through this list really fast, and I didn't put them in your notes, and I didn't give you the references, and I did that on purpose. And I did that because, first off, I told you how to go recreate it. If you want to, you just search these things. It'll pop right up. If you need help doing that, ask us. We'll help you, okay? If you don't care enough to bother, we just saved paper and ink. If you don't care enough to recreate the list. By the way, if you recreate the list yourself, you'll learn more. If you have to go to somebody and ask for help, that interaction will cause you to learn more. You see? That's why I didn't put it in there. If you don't bother, it's, it's a free world. I don't care. Well, I kind of care. But it's up to you. I mean, it wouldn't matter anyway. So you decide. Because true biblical discipleship is more than just a set of lessons. True biblical discipleship is not something that you finish and move on. I'm done with that. I remember 20 years ago when that group came here from Kansas City. I'm done with that. now. I'm done. No. Not biblical discipleship. No. You did okay for a while, but I don't know where you're at now. God's number one ministry for each and every one of us is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. That's what we are to do. And if you are what the Bible calls a baby in Christ, a very newborn young believer, you don't know much yet, you're still learning, great. When, when you have a baby, what you need is personalized, individualized, one-on-one attention. Typically, the mother does that. Okay, so you have individualized attention for the baby. In Christ, we have one-on-one discipleship. With all due respect, let's just call it baby discipleship because we're giving individual attention to this individual who needs to grow to the point where then they can contribute as the part of a family and a group that they were born into. All the elements are critically important. And when you're old enough to be able to do it, then you help somebody else with individual attention while we are living our life together. Do you see that? It's a biblical value. We're observing all these commands. Can you see why that's a pillar in your Christian life? Can you see why if that's missing from your Christian life that maybe things are a little rocky, maybe they're a little shaky, but if that is an established pillar of your life, man, you're going to be strong. Your foundation is solid. You've got strength and support and you're a help to other people. You're like Christ. So the application we're going to look at is this. Count the cost. Listen, you have choices. You have choices in life. Make the right one. In this case, make the right one. There are three priorities, and you need to make them priorities in your life. By the way, somebody once said this. I love this. 
You don't choose between priorities in your life. Well, my family's a priority. My job's a priority. My kids are a priority. Of course those are priorities. If something qualifies to be a priority in your life, you are not allowed to choose between them to the exclusion of the other. Priorities are not to be chosen between. Priorities are to be balanced. You don't choose between priorities. You balance priorities and make these three things priorities in your life. Be in church every week. In other words, get the teaching that you need. We start at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning and we go till 12. Just block out every Sunday is 9 to 12. And come on, get the teaching that you need. Be involved in a life group, that small group setting, and get the accountability that you need. By the way, that is also the place where we do all of our local community ministry outreach, which you also need. We need that. Get the accountability. Get the ministry that you need in a small group and be involved in one-on-one instruction either as the student or the teacher, depending on where you're at. Get the personalized focus that you need because some people need, they absolutely need that. That's why we have that. It's wonderful. That's really important. And just a second, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing one last song. We're going to pray together. And as we do this, I just want you to honestly assess how you think you're doing. Being a disciple making disciples. Has there anything that's been hindering that in your life? Maybe you just need to confess that to the Lord. Be honest. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you just need to determine, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make these things priorities and to balance them in my life. And if you're here and you would say, look, I don't even know if I'm saved, just like Jesus on that mountainside when he shouted out at the beginning, look, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. He calls everybody to begin this discipleship process with salvation. Maybe you're here and you're not sure you're saved. Let's just dedicate and commit our lives to him now. Let's pray.